This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Teachers Well. Teachers Well empowers educators with the skills and resources to lead school wellbeing initiatives that are responsive to the wellbeing and learning needs of all students. One of the resources Teachers Well offers is the Compass Journal, which is designed to support the wellbeing of teachers throughout the school year. The Teachers Well Compass puts weekly strengths-based reflective prompts and a series of systems-aware collaborative tools in your hands that you can put directly into practice. And the best thing, the Compass is date-free, meaning you can pick it up and use it at any time during the school week or the school year. You can purchase a Compass by visiting teacherswell.com. We want to thank Teachers Well for sponsoring this episode. Their founders are a pretty cool team. SOS Palestine is an NGO, not-for-profit, that was established in 1966 to support children and young people at risk due to family breakdown or the loss of a parent in Palestine. They offer programs to strengthen families and to provide out-of-home care services in Gaza and the West Bank. As you can imagine, they are currently working harder than ever and financial support is needed. You can learn more about their work or make a donation by visiting sos-palestine.org. I'm Megan Corcoran and I'm the director of the Wagtail Institute. I started this podcast as I realised that some of the biggest learning occurs when I meet great people, listen to their stories and dive into great conversation with them. We cover the topics of trauma, healing, education, well-being and everything in between. In this episode, I'm joined by the incredible Riss Williamson-Polman, our first Aboriginal woman to qualify for the sport of boxing in the Olympics. But Riss is so much more than boxing. She shares stories of her childhood in foster care, attending six different high schools and the journey she's been on to overcome her trauma. I'm so grateful she could join me on the podcast amidst the chaos of training for the 2024 Olympics. All right, welcome to the 22nd episode of the Wagtails podcast. And it's actually the first episode for 2024 as well. And I'm so excited. I've got a really special guest joining me for this episode. So welcome to the podcast. Do you prefer to be called Marissa or Riss or? Everyone, everyone's been calling me Riss lately. So yeah, we'll go by Riss. All right, we'll go by Riss. I'm going to start. I used to always ask the podcast guests to tell me about themselves as the first question. And I'm like, that's actually a really deep and hard question. <laughs> so I'm going to change it and say, what are you most excited about right now? And we'll just see where that goes. Oh my God. There's so much going on for me, like in my like professional and personal life, but I'm just, I'm really happy that it's, we're going into a new year and I feel like it's a perfect time for, um, you know, new goals and a change of focus, routine, sitting in place. And I just got my timetable for um, the year leading into the Paris Olympics. So really excited to be ticking off some countries and getting some more experience before um, jetting out to Paris for the Olympic Games. Amazing. So exciting. So what does that look like for you from like from now moving forward until you get there? Okay. So I'm, <laughs> I am heading off to Germany in February. Then I'm going to come back home for about a week and then I'm in an international camp in Canberra with Brazil and I'm home for a week and then I go to America for three three weeks, home for a week, um, go to um, like um, Holland and then I'm home for a week, have a camp in Brisbane and then I'm home for a week and then I go to Ireland and then I go to the Olympic Games. So it's been, a, it's going to be a massive year and um 
I'm just like really like grateful to be at home right now just preparing mentally and like just getting as much family time as possible before um before getting into it so exciting that is a huge timetable pretty crazy um how long have you been boxing for because I, I believe you're still pretty young right you're only like 21 21 um I started boxing when I was 17 so that's five years but it's been pretty like pretty much stop start with my boxing career just because of um being a foster kid um and you know then COVID-19 which is like a, just crazy that that even happened yeah yeah so a lot like two years of that my career has been in a lockdown um so ha- that really hasn't felt like long it feels like two solid years of boxing um but yeah so which is incredible because um I train boxing and I definitely have never taken it <laughs> anywhere near like that competitive level um but just to like know how hard it is to actually train that sport and to learn that sport like that is an incredible achievement to make it to the Olympics um with all of that going on so congratulations thank you <laughs> so um why boxing and how did you find boxing I'd love to know sort of the story <laughs> of, of how you found boxing it's a bit of a mixed question and really so <clears throat> I was trying to get back into, I went to six different high schools. So I was trying to get back into one of my old high schools. All my friends were there. I really wanted to graduate with them. Um, And there was a new principal and he basically was like, no, you're not coming back into the school. Like I don't want someone violent in the school. Um, I used to fight a lot. Um, And basically I was like, what is it going to take? Like what, what, what do you, like, what do I have to do to let you, let you, like make you let me come back like let me come back let me sign a behavioral contract and basically that was like do a sport um have like perfect attendance be getting certain level grades type of thing so he was like a mad football fanatic so he like sent me to Geelong Falcons for a trial and now ended up playing for um the Victorian kickstart team which is like a first nations Victorian team and my, I really thought I was going to be dead set on AFLW, really. Like, I was playing for three football, three football teams at one point. Wow. Um, had like, was in a talent squad at Richmond Football Club. So, I thought that was going to be like where I would end up. But so I started boxing at a gym for at risk youth in the western suburbs of Melbourne. And um, it was like a gym for at risk youth. And it really resonated with me. And um, I broke my arm playing football in three places. So I wasn't able to keep on boxing, which is something that I really enjoyed doing. So like once that all healed up and um, I kind of made the decision that I wanted to just focus on boxing, but that decision was highly influenced by my foster carer at the time, who was my first boxing coach. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it was, it's a, was a, yeah, it was a, the journey has been, yeah, there's been, there's a lot of different components of why I have continued to box, but that's, that's how it all started. Yeah, it's super interesting to me because um, I don't know if you know, but I always worked in alternative high schools. Um, so oh. I was a teacher and a school leader. So I always worked with kids who mainstream schools had kicked them out. They had nowhere else to go and yep. would always take them in. No <laughs> suspensions, no expulsions. Um, so a lot of our kids used to fight <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm sort of curious about your journey with school and, and if you have any kind of insights or recommendations around what school should look like for someone, you know, who is going through a lot of stuff. No one has ever asked me that question, actually. Like usually I get kind of like the same sort of questions but to be honest like look at look at I mean 
like me acting out is just me being dysregulated because of the neglect that I was experiencing. Yeah. So I'm not at fault for that. And I should have been supported through that by the adults in my life. And I think like, I don't know, like, I don't know how you can train. I think I feel like there needs to be some sort of training for like trauma informed training for teachers, like as a bare minimum. So and there was a teacher that really didn't give up on me. Like she was, I didn't like her at the start, but her name was Lauren. She was a, um, she was like one of my math teachers and I was terrible at math. I hated it, but she would like, you know, I wasn't getting fed, that fed all too much um, by some of my carers. And like, she would just always make sure I was fed. And I also had another teacher, Ash, who, um, cause I was a singer. No, not many people knew that, but I know, know, know that, but uh, I loved music and that was sort of my outlet before I started doing sport. Yeah. Um, and she was just, just, she had so much compassion. So I feel like approaching, approaching working with children with compassion and understanding. And yeah. Yeah. It's so nice to hear it from you. Cause it's, it's completely what my business model is all about. So I just like, it's nice to hear it from your side of the story as well. To me, I don't really understand it. Like when I, I've engaged with so many young people, yeah. um, just with boxing and with the work that I do as well and it's like to me I just look at them and I'm like oh it's a child like exactly I'm just I just don't understand why there's not that level of care and why people um aren't don't act the way that I act and like don't view view children the way that I view children yeah it's interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. And you're probably way ahead of your time to be a 21-year-old already having that insight as well, which is mm. incredible. Yeah. So you said your, um, one of your foster carers was your boxing coach, your first boxing coach as well. So was that someone you lived with for quite a while or was that just coincidence at the time? No. So I had 16 placements, five years. 16. Wow. Lots, yep. lots. And some of them were, you know, it, it was, I was actually at the boxing gym and um, the carer I had at the time sort of relinquished care of me whilst I was there and the coach was like well I'm not gonna like leave you here so he was like well I guess you're gonna just move in oh wow and that was really hectic um for lots of reasons um and it didn't actually end up working out um in the end but I really did develop my love of boxing like whilst living in the house like Every day I'd wake up, I'd run, he'd make, like, my coach would make me breakfast, like, we'd, we'd talk about boxing, he'd take me to school, I'd do school, come home, train again, then watch boxing until I was going to sleep, like, that was it, like, he was, yeah. it was a mouldy household, so very strong family cultural values and boxing is a massive part of that, Um. so, yeah. Yeah, so it was sort of like a, just a gateway <clears throat> at the time, I guess, it's led you to where you are now, but. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So right. 16 placements in five years. So was this all your teenage years that you were um, in foster care? Yeah. So I was kind of dabbling by the age of nine. Um, I was like, like I was in really bad like family breakdown um, and first nations. So like my mum, my mum had gone through quite a lot of adversity as a child um, as well. Like she was in care and yeah, um, it's kind of been a bit of a cycle. Um, but yeah, she was, she was a schizophrenic with, um, um, just substance misuse. Um, she's just self-medicating to deal with her trauma instead of actually addressing it, um, yep. which is unfortunate. But uh, that kind of just led to a family breakdown, and our family were homeless, living in a car for periods of 
at a time. And then my dad sort of just slowly relinquished care of each child until he had really had none left. So, mm. yeah. 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 So pretty tough times. And now here you are about to go off and do this crazy training and compete in the Olympics as well. Is that something mm. you could ever have seen for yourself? Oh, hell no. No, <laughs> we never did. I was even speaking to my sister who I, I've only been speaking to her for about a year now. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten really close and it's been really nice. Um, but I was even saying to her, like, we never did sport as a kid because we couldn't afford it. Yeah. Um, and to have the, and I'm a massive believer in like defunding the police and investing money into like communities and to prevent crime and things like that, Yeah. like breaking the cycle. And like, if that opportunity to not, like I've never paid a dollar to box I've always gone to non-for-profits. I'm at a non-for-profit right now. Yeah. Like if it wasn't, wasn't for those opportunities, like I probably, I probably might, could have, I could, I could have certainly been locked up or, you know, been a drug addict or, or any of those things. Like some of my siblings have gone down that, that path. Yeah. Could have certainly been me. So yeah, I'm just grateful that boxing sort of found me in a way. Yeah, yeah. So has it become sort of a bit of a therapeutic approach for you as well? Like you found that through boxing? Solely. It's been solely that. If I don't yeah. box and I'm just, I feel like a shell of a human. It's just it's just, just all about my routine. It's it's taught me so much about routine and self-respect and time management and just discipline and hard work. And um, it's been, it's been a blessing in my life for sure. Yeah. I amazing. didn't even... But like, it really was just sort of like, it's, I say this to my, my, cause I've had three boxing coaches now. I say this to my coach now, Cal, we have a quite a spec, very special bond. Like he's like my father to me, you know, I say, you know, I used to box because my life was shit. And now that my life isn't shit and there's a lot of good things going on, I can box for the, and I can box to start achieving things you know like Mm. and that's sort of the last two years of my life um being like normal like a normal human beings um I've I've really excelled in the ring yeah yeah amazing to hear that as well um so do you want to talk us through maybe your qualifying experience as well so what did it take to actually qualify for the olympics oh my god (laughs) and so i had to fight at the state title so I fought, I fought somebody um, by the name of Imogen. Um, I put six standing eight counts on her wow. in the fight, which is massive. Um, yeah. Usually they would stop the fight, but I feel like they might have been doing her a bit of a solid so she yeah, could. Because okay. if you get stopped, then you can't fight for 30 days and you wouldn't. she probably wouldn't have been able to go to the Nationals. Yeah, gotcha. So um, bet her. Then I went to the Nationals in Wajak Nungabuja, which is Perth. Um, and... There was it was a massive political thing because there was somebody who had been sort of like the golden girl of Australian boxing for over a decade, um, who was coming down to the Olympic division, which was my division. Yep. And um, there was there was a lot of you know a lot of noise, a lot of momentum, you know, and and I, I truly believe you know that people were coming to watch either me be beaten or her be beaten. Mm-hmm. So it was a massive, um, it was a massive time in my amateur career. Anyway, the first fight is against my first opponent, Louise, um, and I stopped her in a minute and twenty seconds, which is the quickest stoppage I've ever had um, in my career. And then um, I fought Kay Scott 
who was the f- number two in the world that last year. Yeah. I bet her um, majority decision and that earned me my spot at the Pacific Games and that was a massive upset. Um, and that sort of that win, because it was such an iconic win, mm. I ended up winning the Arthur Tunstall Award. So the Arthur Tunstall Award is awarded to the best boxer of the Australian Championships. It's never been awarded to a female. So I was the first one to be Amazing. awarded that. Yeah. Yep. And then I sort of um, kept, you know, preparing, preparing um, for the Pacific Games. Like I went to Italy, I went to Germany. Like there was like, quite a bit of time in between the Pacific Games and the Nationals. Two weeks before my Pacific Games qualifying event, I dislocated my knee in the in the ring at training and literally it was just a freak accident like I wasn't twisting or turning I was just sort of like I was actually stationary and it must have just been from fatigue like I've been working full-time training full-time like I'm working two full-time jobs essentially um so it just came out and I I initially got a non a non-clearance to box um so I got told you know if you want it so bad like there'll be the next Olympics so I ended up going somewhere else and ended up getting my clearance. I was shitting myself. Like I was in so much pain, like oh going gosh. into the games. But um, I ended up coming away with a majority win against um, Kara from New Zealand. So really to get that quota spot was just such a relief. Yeah. And how was the injury going through the fight and even after? I couldn't feel it. During the, the fight. The adrenaline kicked in. The adrenaline really kicked in. I couldn't really feel it after the fight either because I was like, you know, like so much emotion. Yeah. But, yeah, it's been about six weeks now um, and still doing some re- doing my rehab on it. And yep. it's just it's coming good, but it's just taking taking its damn time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what an incredible journey just to get you there as well. And I do understand as well you're our first First Nations female boxer to qualify for the Olympics as well. In so, boxing, yeah, in boxing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um, incredible. Yeah, like my teammate actually said it to me, um, Tedem Moana. Um, he was like to me, how does it feel to have made history twice this year? And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't even, <laughs> you know, didn't even think about it like that. So, yeah. yeah. And so it hasn't hit me yet. It hasn't hit me quite yet. But when it does, I'm sure I'll feel all the things. Yeah, for sure. It might even just be when you're actually walking into the the venue. For the I first think time. I think that's going to be the case. I think yeah. that's going to be the case. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, and you mentioned before as well that you're doing a bit of work with young people or um for te- like youth or teenagers or children as well. So what does that look like for you? Well, just being just being like a as a role model in my community, like you know the Aboriginal community in in Australia, but also just in Victoria and then in Melbourne is just it's very small. So yeah. being a role model um is a massive is a massive job let's a you know mm. you, you you have to it's not you can't take it lightly because you never know who's who's watching um I do volunteer here and there at some like youth boxing gyms from time to time and obviously Collingwood Boxing Club it's non-for-profit and there's young people coming in and out there as well um so but also my family <clears throat> so for context when I was 17, I was homeless living above my second coach's boxing gym. And um, I kind of was like, I was kind of like a plea for help. I was like, I'm going to call this old social worker um, because I I need to get out of this gym. Like um, it's during COVID-19, I'm living in a gym that keeps getting broken into during 
pandemic. Um, so I called her and then she sort of took me in. I lived sort of like, I was on a couch for a bit and I ended up living by myself. But this 2023, I moved in um, to the house and to actually live with them as a family oh, um, to focus on my yeah. boxing. Yeah, And she does a lot of community work. Like she was a social worker for a very long time. Um, my auntie, who's not really my auntie, but, you know, you have so many aunties when you're a black fella, like they all they all do like trauma-informed um, therapy and all this different stuff. So sometimes I'll just come home and they'll be, we'll be doing respite care for a child, you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah it's really important that I keep on keeping on with the sport because, you know, you never know who's really watching and, yeah. Absolutely. And even just like for women in the sport too, like I just feel like a lot of um, it's starting to obviously get bigger every year mm. for females in the sport, but I think mm. it's just a lot of women don't see themselves in sport or they don't see themselves in, on that journey. So for you to represent that in that way too is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, did you have any anyone that you were able to look up to through that your childhood or through those years as a youth as well? No, probably not. Um, no. And I think probably like my, my now like foster mum, like my adopted mum, she was pretty iconic. Like, you know, we very close in age. Um, so I met her when I was 13 and everyone, when you're that young and traumatized seems, and when they're sort of very assertive and Mm. culturally strong and just a staunch woman, they just, she just seemed way older than she was yeah so she was only 21 when I met her so when I when she took me in she was only 27 yeah um and that's really a hard thing for people to understand that you know someone that I call my mom is you know so young but that's a cultural thing that's a cultural nuance that not many people will understand um and I feel like I definitely her I would look definitely looked up to like I was a mute when I was 13 when I met her I didn't speak to anybody I kind of just like had my head down I wouldn't talk but meeting meeting her I was just I'm this now I'm this very loud outgoing forward person um but she would and you know it was really embarrassing I would get bullied at school because you know I'm the kid that didn't have anyone like any family or anything like that um and I was always getting picked up by this these government people, like child protection, and they're wearing their lanyards and they're driving their government vehicles, and it was just just fucking embarrassing thing. But she would pick me up in a fucking rundown Commodore, like love that. She she would take me like on at wag school sometimes, and she'd take me on a girls' day out. You know, yeah. she would sneak money into my clothes, um, and notes and cultural like necklaces and things like that. Yeah. So I just like adored her for what and everything that she stood for as a human being. Um, but yes, definitely her. Even now, like she inspires me the most. Like she's got freaking two master's degrees. That that took her a really long time. Like having raised so many children that aren't hers throughout her life. Um, working for like a non for profit, not for the money, but just for humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she works three jobs to support me and the family. So like, yeah, she inspires me so much. Yeah. So nice to hear that story, actually, that you did actually have someone like that as well. Um, do you have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good to, yeah, just like to be able to unpack and identify that as well. Yeah. yeah. Cause you mentioned a couple of teachers, but as you said, like the schooling years weren't necessarily great and they were no. just probably a small part of your day or a small part of your week. 
yeah that's right in the grand scheme of things as well yeah so um i guess like i've asked you about the schooling side of things but is there anything you would say for carers to think about when they're like becoming a foster carer or taking mm -hmm. in children as foster carers don't do it if you're not fully committed to it mm. it's it's so unfair like it's so it's a hard task it's a hard job and it's a flawed system it's yep. a terribly flawed system but you know think about it wholeheartedly before you sort of make that decision to take on a child um because the instability of being like oh actually I can't do this anymore and then that instability of moving around that the the flow and effect of it from that like the abandonment issues you now have as an adult are crazy so like that as well but also just um I just feel like consideration like you know my auntie who has you know taken on children like before you know she's always like oh like what would I want if I was you know a young person like a young person and yeah. like culturally as well for them as well like you're taking on an aboriginal child and I was mostly was in like white families yeah okay like wasn't really taken into community which is where I belonged yeah um things like that um I feel like it was just a lot of people that were just inconsiderate or maybe just ignorant mm -hmm. um but other than that, I gotta, I'm not really sure what else because raising children is so hard, especially when they're not yours and especially when they're extremely traumatised. Yeah, that's It's a thing, hard right? task. Yeah, it's hard. Yep. You're not going to be supported in the way that you need to be supported. So you need to come up with a sort of a plan for yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good tip. <laughs> Very good tip because I'm aware I actually do have some foster carers that um, I've done some work with. And yeah. They, they may potentially listen to the podcast. So it's good for, once again, just to hear the other side of it. But also like... Don't be afraid to just, if you don't know, just ask. Like yeah. my mum came into my room the other day and she said, oh, um, Aunty LG is taking on somebody. Um, what would you have liked as a as a foster kid when you've arrived at a place? And I was like, oh, I would have loved, you know, nice soap and a, you know, fluzzy blanket and a little diary and some snacks or something on my bed. Like that would have been awesome. But I didn't have that. Um, mm. So just asking questions, like don't be afraid to be wrong and I feel like people are so judgmental like I feel like people need to be start embracing each other a bit more and like maybe if, if they were embraced a bit more they probably would have asked those questions and that's not right. gone as much wrong you know yeah that's right yeah because I'm noticing that in the system a lot actually is um yeah people yeah. are always afraid and like of course there's going to be dysregulation from the, the child and the young person 100%. as well yeah they're so traumatized of course there's going to be dysregulation and I feel like the foster carers are judging themselves pretty hard when when those moments occur from the ones mm. I've met as well mm. so yeah I think it's unpacking that and understanding that and just letting there be mess mm, <laughs> like there's exactly. going to be messy times yeah yeah that's yeah. right so you obviously have taken on so much as well just like to be an Olympian. So what do you do actually to look after your well-being? aside from like boxing is obviously a therapeutic outlet, but I'm sure it's a pretty demanding outlet at the moment mm. as well. So what else do you do to take care of your well-being? This has been like a, this has been a journey. And I like, we've talked a lot about foster care and, and dis like dysregulation. And I was definitely like that dysregulated, traumatized child. And, you know, I've got, I've got, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD and that is a very interesting mental illness to have because it's PTSD, but it's an accumulation of events that have caused PTSD. So it's PTSD times a thousand. Like mm, it's mm -hmm. it's really hectic. It's um 
and it was at the start when I wasn't quite sure and I had a lot of stigma around mental health because of my upbringing and my mum and all that stuff um but acknowledging it owning it you know seeking support um seeing a psychologist I was seeing I saw a psychologist for three years and then I unpacked a lot of trauma with her and then I moved on and I now see a new psych so I can just start you know have like regular human being conversations about like how do I act regular now that I've unpacked like my deepest traumas with you yeah um being medicated like I feel like people are really hesitant towards that option but working with a psychiatrist that really has my my well-being at heart and like I've really like I've tried a lot of different things and I feel like I've got a good combination at the moment and that's really been helping me just to like get through my day-to-day doing things to get grounded surrounding people surrounding sort of I've cut off a lot of people in my life that weren't really aligning to my values like there was a values mismatch so I think that was really important as well but just also just doing things that I love being at home with my family reading listening to music like laughing like just doing all that stuff so but it's a it's a bit of a spectrum it depends what you really need at the, like three years ago I needed like intense trauma therapy like informed trauma therapy yeah but now I'm like I think my psych you know once a fortnight you know I'm kind of like it's a bit different now it's, yeah yep you're so, making a yeah. really good point yeah it's it's very specific to where you are at at the time exactly exactly yeah right. yeah we're getting pretty close to the end of our time. And what I do at the end of a podcast yes. is I ask the guests um, five questions just to sort of close off. Yes. Um, so you can just go with your gut answer and you don't have okay. to like, stress too much about what you say. All right, fun. <laughs> uh, but the first one is what did you want to be when you were a kid? So when you were like a little young kid? I either wanted to be like a detective or I wanted to be a doctor. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So... Because <laughs> I watched House a lot and he was just like this funny doctor and I just wanted to be like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember House. Yeah, totally it's happened. freaking hilarious. I still watch it. <laughs> I actually forgot that it even existed, but now yeah, I'm going to check it out again. <laughs> um, the second question is, um, what are your two top values? It's always hard to narrow it down to two, but see if you can just like choose two values. Uh, transparency and reciprocity. So like that. yeah. I'm very open and honest and I honestly am I'm head first, head strong. And also if people aren't picking up what I'm putting down and like giving me what I'm giving them, then it's, that's not a relationship. That's like a, that's a monologue. Like that's not a relationship. So yeah. Yeah. Very good. Like they're cool ones to have. <laughs> yeah. Um, the third one is actually pretty silly and this will be great for you. <laughs> I love but it. I, I, la- I ask every podcast guest this and we even have a playlist now. Um, but it's if you were going to have a boxing fight, what would be your walkout song? What would be my walkout song? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> the fact that I don't even know. I'm really silly with it. Like, it's probably I Was Made For Loving You by Kiss. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's like my coaches and my, we have a story that's very private but about that song, but whenever he has an attitude, I just put it on it really ticks him off. But now it's like, now it's like the joke is kind of over and it kind of, the song now reminds, like he, the song reminds him of me now or not of like 
the really private story. So yeah, so uh, probably that song. Yeah, that's cool. I've actually met your coach before as well, Cal. So I was actually yeah, yeah I was. <laughs> I was training with Ray um, like through Collingwood. So like Cal would be there every now and again. <laughs> He's Cal is this just amazing wealth of knowledge, but no ulterior motives. Like he's never made a cent out of that place. It's mm. He's been there for 25 years. It's always been a non-for-profit. He's just this incredible person. And I'm so glad that I'm calling it. Bo- it's calling a boxing clubs an iconic, you know, it's a heritage listed building. Like it's, yeah. it's an iconic, it's the oldest boxing gym in Australia. To be Collingwood Boxing Club's first Olympian as well is probably my biggest personal achievement. Yeah, Mm, I love that. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and I I feel like everyone I meet that has trained under Cal speaks the same way about him. Yeah, he's just he's just the best. Yeah, (laughs) that's cool. Um, the fourth question is if you could collaborate with anyone on any project or any idea in the world, who would it be? Oh my god! (laughs) And it can be dead or alive. Oh my god! Just to make um, it even harder. <laughs> oh my lord! There's just so many like fantastic. But Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali. I feel like he was like a champion of his of the people. Yeah, people loved what he was doing outside of the ring, and I would just love to just hear what he'd have to say, and what he'd have yeah. to say about boxing, like from, like from his perspective and like how it changes people's lives and yeah yeah Mm. yeah definitely good answer (laughs) Um, and then the last question is if you could make one recommendation as a step that anyone could take towards healing what would it be Mm. I feel like just being so fucking for real with yourself just like sitting down and being like okay I really need this and I think I don't know why there's still such a stigma with like seeking, you know, a therapist or a psychologist or like, but I wouldn't be the person that I am today without all the unpacking that I've done. Like I'm like the person I was three years ago or one year ago or two years ago is not the person that I am today. And I couldn't have achieved what I've achieved the way that I was and the state that I was, I probably wouldn't have even been able to have this conversation without, you know, balling up. So I feel like please just consider taking steps towards your improving your mental health that aren't counterproductive. Like, you know, you have a problem, like fix it, not, you know, do other things to try and fix it. Just do the thing. Trust me, like trust yourself. Um, it's probably it's definitely the best thing for you you'll thank yourself in the future for sure yeah I love that that's such a great answer and you make such a good point too I feel like we've been conditioned so much just to like not talk about mental health to hide it to pretend that we're okay it's um, your brain like it's your yeah. brain it's everything that you do like yeah if you're not a hundred percent how can you even function you can't you can't function yeah it's just fake functioning until you totally break down <laughs> that's right yeah so yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, great tip there. Um, and before we close off as well, I just wondered if there's anything else you wanted to add or say um, to close off. Well, yeah, I feel like like we've, we've touched on some topics that I've never really touched on before in an interview before and I've really appreciated that because um, 
there's more to me than just boxing. There's quite a lot that makes me, I'm a complex human. There's other things that, there's quite a lot of other things other than boxing. It's like the one, that's like 1% of who I am. Um, but yeah, if anyone's listening, I can, um, needs that push. I feel like, yeah, take that, take the leap and do what you need to do to support yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate your honesty so much as well. It's actually been such a rich episode for people to like hear and hopefully some teachers take some advice, some foster carers take some advice. Young people might hear it and think about what they want to do next as well, which is great. Um, I also noticed when I was like looking into your journey and what's going on is like you're still, are you still seeking sponsorship and like some fundraising and stuff like that to, to make your journey more possible and more like sort of more comfortable for yourself as well? Like I said, I've been, I've been working full time this whole time I've been working full-time since I was 14 years old so it's terrifying to go into this Olympic year and probably have to consider not being able to work because it's just not possible like how it's actually not possible if it was I would do it yeah anyone you know even even if it's five dollars five dollars or five thousand dollars like you know please reach out via my Instagram um or please donate to my GoFundMe page. I, I would be so grateful. Um, yeah, I'll put the I, links, um, the links yeah. in the show notes, so people can um, access it. Yeah, like I've gotten this, I've gotten so far, and I'd hate to be the only limitation being money. That is just such a disposable thing. Yeah. So yeah, and we would hate to see your journey be disrupted by you thinking you have to work and not being able to give it everything that you possibly could have given That's as right. well. Yeah. So I'll make sure those links are in the show notes. So if anyone heard that and they're curious, they can definitely have a look at how they can help out. Thank you so much. I really appreciate No problem at all. Thank you so much. Thank you, wonderful listeners, for making it right to the end of the podcast. We appreciate you. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, give us a rating. We'll be dropping a new episode roughly once per fortnight, so you can stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.